Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but as Chris said, 2023 has been a challenging year. I have to look back and I say to myself, when was the last time that I I actually felt something as challenging as this? I was doing my year-end report that we have to publish in a little while. And I was just thinking, it started so well. We had come out of COVID, it looked like. We were back to, to full service, uh, no masks necessary. Everything looked rosy. And then what happened? <laughs> There's just all kinds of stresses in our world. I, I was thinking as well back in the 80s and 90s before newspapers really were discarded as a physical thing that you had. There was a, a gentleman who used to write cartoons for the star, I think it was, whose name was Donato. And there was always a, a baby in diapers with the, the new year coming in, an old man with a sickle on his way out, just signifying that, that radical shift from great expectations to the, the change at the end of the year. And I thought, that just describes all of us, I think, to a T. You know, one year ago at this time, we were starting the new year, and I was up here, and we were doing what we've been doing the last couple years and setting a vision for ourselves, looking ahead, really retuning and saying, it's not simply a time of uh, what is my desire in terms of weight loss or anything else. It's what does the Lord have of us? And what does that mean for the coming year? I mean, we knew that there was still going to be some hiccups coming out of COVID. It was probably going to be this reoccurring thing that we'll have to just learn to deal with. So there was wrinkles that were still needed to be ironed out. But everything looked like it was going to be normalized. I mean, we had had six, seven, eight months before that as we started to take holidays overseas. We had wonderful weddings and, and all of these baby showers, and we were enjoying life together again. Everything seemed to be coming up roses. Who expected the turmoil and the challenges that we've seen this year? Who expected to see unfold all the things that have happened? It has been a very tumultuous year, hasn't it? Again, I I have to think back to the 80s, to a time in my life that I can remember that was as difficult as challenging. So going back into the early 80s, it was a time of, of all this social unrest, strikes and riots, the Falklands War. The Berlin Wall was going to come down in a couple years, and, and Russia and the Eastern powers were flexing all their muscle, just trying to save that empire again. It, you know, at the time, I didn't realize that I was in my early 20s. I was oblivious to really a lot of the changes and the challenges of the time, and I was just living it. And I think that should the Lord tarry, 2023 will go down in history as one of those years for many of us that has been like that. We may not recognize how tumultuous and difficult it was, but in hindsight, we'll see all the challenges personally and as a church. Now, what are some of those things that we've had to deal with that made it so tumultuous? Well, first and foremost, internationally, we started the year last year The the Ukraine-Russia war was already on the go, and China was already flexing its muscles, but who would have expected the war to have ground to a halt? 
to, to see the exchange of life the way it has happened. Over the last 12 months, there's been a polarization, hasn't there, of all of the nations around the world. There are more wars. We have a great war going on right now in Palestine, and it spills over even into the streets of Toronto as we have mass rallies to save Palestinians, to save the Jews. There's a growing sense of uneasiness. I don't know if you felt it amongst the national powers. And every time you turn on the news, there is another country, Finland, Sweden, Hungary. They're, they're all rearming themselves. It, it's, a, it's a concept that something is probably going to happen in terms of a greater conflict. And so nations for the first time are getting ready for it, perhaps in 40, 50, 60 years. On the home front, it's been just as challenging. It's been like having a heart that skips a beat every once in a while. We've had the problems of rising inflation and interest rates. And if you have a house and you've had to remortgage, you know what that's meant in the last year. Now, it's not as great. There was a time in the late 70s, early 80s, I believe, where mortgage rates actually hit 18%. We're not at that yet, but we've had some serious financial realities. There's income security. You know, we've got inflation, shrinkflation, skimpflation, <laughs> workplace insecurity. Is my job going to be there? Especially with AI and everything that seems to be coming down the pipe. We have income security, workload pressures. I, I know Shauna is under incredible pressure to be at work. Now, she was hired before the pandemic with an understanding that she didn't have to be in work. They, they already had a problem. They didn't have enough place for people to have desks. So they hired her with an understanding you can always work remote. Now she's working two days a week in Markham, and they want more. And so all of us are experiencing these things, let alone the rise in car theft, in house break-ins, in, in challenges on the Internet. A recent medical study, just done in the last couple of months, has basically said COVID-19 has caused a 25% increase in social anxiety in our culture. Beyond that, basically one in three of us has problems right now with anxiety. This morning, we're wrestling with it. They also say, Youth between 18 and 21 are wrestling with 41% of them stressing with anxiety. You college students, the reality is that 31% of you have a diagnosis, a doctor's diagnosis saying that you're under great duress and anxiety and you need medication and help. 94% of us don't necessarily like our jobs. We feel that we're stressed out. And, you know, we don't even have to talk about the, uh, uh, the medical uh, professions yet. They're still stressed beyond belief. All of this rest, all of this turmoil has left us frazzled. It's left us drained. We feel spiritually, physically fatigued and tired. And I think as I was talking to people at the end of last year, and I even saw an article, one of the greatest challenges of 2023 has been that we feel exhausted emotionally, physically, and the church spiritually. 
Now, add to that our own reality as Christians. Another survey says 32% of us read the Bible on a regular basis. 32% of us. Now, just a little while, I was talking to someone from this congregation, and, and I could see their heart was exactly for this. They cried out, Pastor, do you know how many people don't know how to read the Bible? And the reality is, is that if you don't know how to read the Bible, if you're not into it on a daily basis, you've got no spiritual armor to work with the, the trials of this world and the anxiety and stress that's there. 10% of us, only 10% of us have actually read the Bible in its entirety in our lifetime. That's a challenge. That's a reality. Now, I, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but the truth is that we are in challenging times, even if we may not recognize it. I'm sure the older amongst us, if you're 40 and older, you're wrestling with some of these things. If you're a little bit younger, you may not necessarily are rubbing shoulders with these realities. They may not invade your private space, per se. But the reality is, is that we're in a time of great conflict and spiritual decline. So when I was looking for a text to be able to start our year off, I couldn't think of anything better than the book of Habakkuk. And very specifically, chapter 2, verse 14, that says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, three years ago, we actually went into a more in-depth study. Do you remember us going? It was like two months we looked at the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a lesser prophet. He, he, he lived at the time of the end of the southern kingdom, just before they were taken into captivity. It was a time of spiritual decline for Israel. It was a time of injustice. It was a time of idolatry. And he was living all of this. And he, he saw this, the, the rise of this great, powerful, and ruthless superpower, Babylon, come to the fore. And he knew that wasn't going to be good news for anybody, let alone Israel. Now, unlike the other prophets who either spoke on behalf of the people or spoke on behalf of God to the people, the book of Habakkuk is really a personal story of struggle. One man's faith, crying out to God, saying, if you are a good God, if you are a holy God, how come so many awful, evil, bad things happen? Now, what first prompts Habakkuk He's looking around and he says, you know what, the spiritual life of Israel, God's people, it's horrible. They have neglected your word. They don't study it. They don't read it. They don't come to the synagogue to, to hear it pronounced. And as a result of that, there is increased violence and increased injustice within Israel itself. And it's all condoned. It's all covered over very blithely by a corrupt leadership. So he says, there is, a, there is a gangrene in the people of God denying or refusing to hear and read the word of God. Now, when God responds and says, well, you know what? I, I'm going to send the Babylonians to bring judgment upon my people. Remember what Habakkuk's response was? How could you do that? <laughs> They're even worse 
They're ruthless. They're cruel. They, they gather the nations like fish in a net, and they do whatever they want. Here's the reality, God says. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I know what is good for my people. I will bring judgment on Babylon too. But trust me, I'm in control. There is a day that's coming. It, it may be slow to start. You may only see it break forth in the very beginning of the morning as something that is promised. But be assured there is a day coming when I will judge all nations, including Babylon. So just because Babylon is evil, it's because it is ruthless, I will bring it down. And like all other nations as well who follow on that same path. What God told Habakkuk to write down in chapter 2, verse 2, it was a promise that one day judgment would come to Babylon. But because Babylon is representative of all of the evil power structures in the world, of all of the nations, of all of the kings who are fallen, it was a promise that this judgment of God is coming against all powers. It's coming, and it's a promise for all generations, including ours this morning. So the thing that I want us to consider, to ponder for even just a, a moment as we look forward into 2024 is that promise that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And I want to ask you, is that vision big enough for you? Now, to understand what's going on in, in that verse, we need to take it apart a little bit, and hopefully this will just be stuff that we have looked at before and will jog your memory. But verse 14, again... There, there, there are several places in the Bible that actually tell us that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. We have Numbers 14. We have Psalm 72, verse 19. They give us a promise that there is a Lord on his throne, but that the glory of the Lord will also fill the earth. And when they speak of that glory of the Lord filling the earth, they're talking about a weightiness of the presence of God. An intense, personable, tangible feeling of God with us. Where the fullness of God's character, in the splendor of his glorious excellencies, in the perfections of his character or nature, are something that we physically feel. His omnipotence, his holiness. That's, that's the ambiance in which we are going to be. That feeling was expressed to some degree as God was leading Israel through the desert, first and foremost during the day <coughs> as a cloud, and second in the night as a pillar of fire. It also was with uh, God was with them in a very unique way in the Holy of Holies. That, that physical presence of God, that overwhelming sensation that, of a transcendent, holy, perfect God is with us, was in the temple itself. One day, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. 
There will be no brokenness. There will be no sin. There will be no death. All of creation will be redeemed and be in harmony with its creator again. Habakkuk, however, adds one little word. It's not simply that the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. He says it's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that will fill the earth. And with that one little word, he changes the reality from an objective truth to something that we as believers are going to experience. Because when the Bible talks about knowing God, it talks about knowing God in a right relationship of love, in a right relationship of trust, in a right relationship of worship and service. So if we say we know God, it's because we know him in this way. We love, we trust, we worship and adore him. It's not simply a a, a mental understanding that there is a God. There is a day, God tells Habakkuk, when the knowledge of the glory of God will fill, will overflow the earth as the waters fill the sea or cover the sea. At that time, not only will God's glory fill, but the knowledge of God's glory, every person will know the Lord and will worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. Now, as Christians, we believe that the New Testament picks up all of the promises of God from the Old Testament and moves them forward into the very person of Jesus Christ himself, don't we? In the beginning verses of John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the incarnate word of God who created all things and in whom all things find life. He is the true light of God that has come into the world. Colossians 1.15 tells us that in him we see the glory of the invisible God. But we also believe that one day this world will be wiped away and sin will be no more, evil will be judged. And in that final picture of the victory of God, that glorious victory, it's a victory that's made possible because of, of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. We see that where? In the end of the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and chapter 22. We're having defeated Satan and the evil powers of this world, having judged all of creation, Christ reigns at the right hand of God forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful picture of final redemption is ours that we see in Revelation 21 and 22. This is the promised Uh, here of Habakkuk 2.14, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Because with God, we will be, all those who are saved by faith, all of those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, will be with him forevermore in glory. And that knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. There won't be a place in the new heaven and the new earth where the knowledge of God doesn't reign, where there is not an intimate relationship between God and creature of love, of service, of trust. Not only will it be a visible reign, it will be a magisterial reign. 
It will be a reign in which you and I will serve and love God forever and ever. And that is the fulfillment of the knowledge of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, just three quick points of application. First and foremost, we mustn't lose heart no matter how dire the situation may seem around us. As bad as it may seem today, I can't imagine being in Habakkuk's time because literally your life hung by a string every day. Talk about food insecurity. Talk about being under the threat of rogue nations, Babylon. Wow, I wouldn't want that. So in times of great upheaval, in times of spiritual declension, when the people of God are, are, are not committed to the word of God and to love God as he deserves to be, we need to remember that God has not forgotten his promises. He is sovereign. Not only in, will he bring good purposes out of Babylon, but that he ordained that Babylon should rise up so that he could use it. So it's not that, that God is surprised by anything that may happen by happenstance or serendipitously. God is in control of all things, bringing out his purposes, even when we don't see it. And that was the challenge for Habakkuk. With a lack of love and devotion to God and with a, this powerful rogue nation on the rise, where's God? And God says, I'm here. You may not see it, I have my judgment coming for even Babylon, and one day I will be victorious. Habakkuk saw how the word of God was not treasured by the people of God, and he saw how it affected their worship of God. And he also saw this nation, powerful and ruthless, rising up. That wasn't simply going to cause problems for Israel. It was going to cause great devastation as well around the world, wherever it decided to go. But here's the thing, God says, there is a day coming. There is a day coming when all evil nations like that will be judged. A day coming that through judgment itself, I will be worshipped in splendor, in majesty, and I will reign forevermore. Now again, there, there may be times in our life when all seems lost. I can't imagine what 2024 may bring, what the Lord has lined up for us as families, as a church. We may find ourselves in great spiritual challenges in terms of our faith as we look around us. We may actually look at ourselves and be challenged by our own sinfulness and wonder what God, how God can, can use us times the new testament says that we will feel afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed in 2024 some of us may have to deal with a failing health and the passing of a loved one we may have to face the reality that we have neglected our marriages and they're at the breaking point right now. Deal with the reality that we have neglected the means of grace 
to come unto God, to know him better, to, to make sure that we have that assurance that we are in his promises. And we find our faith at the breaking point. And I think all too often we see people leaving the church. We see leaders falling into sin and grievous sin. But there is a day appointed in God's perfect timing. It, it may be slow in coming. It may be way down the road. But know this, it is coming. And we're on the pathway that God has ordained before it comes. Now the second thing I just want to say is, is we need to kind of apply to ourselves is that we need to wait expectantly. When Habakkuk was challenged by what he saw, he was heartbroken. He heartbroken for the people of God, heartbroken simply because of the destruction that was going to happen. And he waited for God. He waited for God like a soldier on the ramparts of a castle, and he poured his heart out to God. I'm sure he wanted everything to be fixed overnight. <laughs> Who of us, when something happens, we, we don't want to deal with the pain. We don't want to deal with what we know is coming. We want God to fix it and everything be hunky-dory now. But God gave him an answer to his first concern about the love of, of God's people for God himself. He says, I'm bringing the Babylonians. It, it, it wasn't what he was expecting. But God said, one day even they will be judged and my glory will fill the earth. And at that time, faith and trust in the promises of God transformed his attitudes, his understanding and how he was to live and to face the day. In fact, he says, I love the Lord. I put my trust in the Lord. No matter what happens, he's in control and I will serve him. So his attitude changes radically and he's willing to endure the trials and the tribulation that he knows are coming, the bad days, because at the end of it all, God will be glorified and he will be there to glorify God. God's promise is that in this time of waiting, those who are justified, who are, are justified by faith shall live by faith. Those who are righteous shall live by faith. And, and so in, in many ways, Habakkuk's spiritual journey is our journey. We have this, um, this sign curve kind of thing where we first come to understanding who Jesus Christ is and we grow in our adoration, our worship, our, our connection with him. And, and then at some point, there is a downward spiral as we are wrestling with sin, as we are wrestling with the reality of evil in the world. And, and when we come to this down pit in, in which we finally wrestle with the truth, of God's sovereignty is God's love. And then we start to pick up again and our, our relationship becomes one more of adoration and putting God first in the right place and where he is. But it's an ongoing curve of spiritual growth. But those who wait patiently on the Lord are those who will live by faith, trusting that God can be trusted, that his promises, his, has said his covenantal love is always in control of things. Despite whatever God determines that we are to face in the coming year, 
we must meet it by faith. We must meet it with an understanding. We don't understand everything that's going on. We don't know why these things are happening. But God is sovereign. God is true. And one day, we will be in glory as we persistently work through this, trusting in God. We need to expect great things from God, even in times of great spiritual declension, in times of great physical realities. And the third thing, in terms of an application, is if we are committed to living by faith, even in the dark days that we may find ourselves in, we can expect to be renewed spiritually. The end of chapter 3, we see a man who is transformed by his faith. Yes, terrible things are going to happen. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be injustice. But Habakkuk, in his heart, trusts in God. And listen to what he says, chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the tr fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You see that transformation from a, a man who is under abject, overwhelming anxiety by everything he saw to trusting in God, and by the end of it, we see a transformed, worshipful man. If we are to be like Habakkuk, and trust God even in these difficult challenges, knowing that whenever God deigns to, to bring in this day of great expectation, our faith right now in God, it, it's going to bring a, a multitude of fruit to us. We're going to have a renewed, vital, spiritual relationship with God in our trust. There's going to be an urgency to to apply the word of God to ourselves, an urgency to, to share the word of God with others, a desire that we get to know God even more intimately because we see the wonderful things and trust in him implicitly. So there is a renewed sense of devotion and worship, a, a revitalization of our prayer life as we come unto God and, and cry out, why? Okay, I trust let me follow. A renewed sense of love for God that will inflame our worship. So I think the most important question this morning we need to ask ourselves is this. Is the vision that one day the, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth, is that big enough for us? Is that big enough to handle all of our anxieties? Is that big enough to handle all of our fears? Is it big enough to handle all of our insecurities here? Because if it doesn't, we've got a real problem on our hands. You know, we're going to continue to, to face inflation, anxiety, job insecurity, and financial insecurity. 
We're going to see an inc increased rise in, in, in polarization of attitudes and, and, and different things going on in the world. There's going to be more suffering. There's going to be more injustice. There's going to be more anxiety. But how are we as the people of God going to face that? Are we going to face it, face it with faith in God? And if that's the case, how is it going to impact our walk with God? How should an understanding that Habakkuk's vision that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to fill the earth lead us today, tomorrow, for the rest of this year as individuals, as families, as a people here, as a, as a church family, CGC? Are our hearts truly set on that promise that is coming one day that God will reign in all of his splendor and all of his glory and that we will worship and serve him forever. Habakkuk 2, 2 says a wonderful thing. Now think of this. God in the vision comes to Habakkuk and says, write this down, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it so that whoever hears it, whoever reads it, may run by faith. This wasn't written simply for Habakkuk. This wasn't written simply for the, the faithful of the day. This was written for you and I, that we might run the race of faith that's coming this year. As we hear, as we absorb, as, as we challenge, and as we humble ourselves before God, to by faith live for Him. Now, starting next week, we're going to go into the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in there for about a year and a half. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is I thought we spend so much time on theology. We spend so much time on uh, uh, other parts of the Bible that so often the Gospels are lost. Our promised hope is in the theology. It's Jesus Christ. And I, I want us to go back and I want to rekindle our hearts for the person who is our Savior, for whom we will spend eternity. I, I want to kindle my heart in devotion and worship so that I can run the race that is set before me. And I hope that is your desire as well. Now, I don't have a compass. I asked someone if they had one, and, and I don't think anyone did. So the reality was is that wh when we grew up, someone asked us, where's north? And we'll go, oh, yeah, it's up there. But you know what? When we get a little bit older, we know that there are some tricky things going on. It's not as easily as we think, right? There's this thing called the magnetic north. <laughs> so when you have a compass and you read it, it's actually pointing to the magnetic north and not the true north. And the difference between those two points is what's called the magnetic declination. Now, it can be 20 degrees to one side or 20 degrees to another. So a potential range of 40 degrees. But here's the thing. If you don't take into effect what that declination is, that difference between the magnetic north and the true north, you will find yourself not on the path you wanted. Now, to put this in really simple terms, imagine yourself down at the bottom end of Spadina, right underneath the gardener. And you look north, and you set your compass, and you say, I want to get to CGC. I want to get to church. If you don't take in 
what that declination is. In, for Toronto, downtown, it's 10 degrees west, seven minutes. If you don't take into effect that difference between magnetic north and true north, you're going to find yourself several blocks down close to Bathurst. That's how far off the difference can be. True north is Christ himself. It's the promise that one day all of this will wrap up into the glory and the worship of God himself. That magnetic north is what? <laughs> it's all the glories that my flesh desires after, the things that the world uh, says can be yours. And as Christians, we forget to, to remember that our desire, if we truly need and want to get to be with heaven, or to God forever and ever in heaven, then we need to take in that declination. We need to say, how do I get there? We need to have a vision that corrects that for us. And so I hope this morning that has been for us Habakkuk 2.14. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And if we don't think about that, and it conjures up a sweetness that changes our attitude to worship, if it, if it doesn't conjure us in us a, a worrisomeness in that there is judgment before that for those who don't know Jesus Christ, for my family members who don't know him, that should be worrisome. So I want to encourage you as we look forward. The Lord now reigns. Chapter 2, verse 20, Habakkuk. The Lord now reigns on high. And we're called to walk by faith, seeking that day to trust and obey. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father.